No Dignity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the No Dignity podcast, the podcast about the cultural phenomenon that is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Ng. And I'm Alejandro. Um, and uh, on this show, we pick a topic about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and we talk about it. This is your general spoiler warning. We will jump around from any part and any piece of media so consider yourself warned if you are sensitive to spoilers. Or if you're sensitive to, you know, cooch. Because today we're going to be talking about cooch. A lot of cooch. Yeah, so the, the podcast is called No Dignity. Our podcast cover art features Morio. So it only seems right that we begin our series by talking about the one, the only, the irreplaceable, the completely dependable Koichi Hirose. What a reliable guy. Very reliable. And specifically, we're going to talk about why does everybody love him? I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. If I saw Koichi, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I could help but love him on the spot. Yeah, you're a big Koichi fan. I think this is because we're both five foot two. <laughs> okay, well, um, so I was thinking about how we could talk about this. I think one way we could would be, I mean, everybody loves Koichi, but I think he has three admirers in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, Yukako, Jotaro, and Rohan. and Rohan. So do we want to go character by character? I want to go by when they meet him. Okay. Well, you, you take lead on this since you're the Koichi expert. Oh, I studied Koichi. Trust me. So first <laughs> one, um, Jotaro Kujo. The first uh, recurring character we see in part four and the first person that we see that is recognizable to us as a main character that isn't Koichi. Now, just think about this. The manga part four starts off with Koichi. We start with his perspective. That's important. All right. He bumps into Jotaro, literally like bumps right into his thigh. He's not that much bigger than Jotaro's crotch. Um, <laughs> this is true. This is very true. And now Jotaro canonically is 6'4"? Six, 6'5". Six, five. Six, five. Jotaro is canonically 6'5". He is maybe like a foot and three inches taller than Koichi, but Koichi cannot reach past his waist. Yeah. So um, why that is, no one's quite sure. Oh, it gets worse when we oh. see Koichi next to Jorno, where Jorno's five foot seven, and it still looks like there's like a two foot difference between them. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, go ahead. So Jotaro and Koichi's relationship. Now, Jotaro just kind of first he sees Koichi as like this little high school kid, right? This freshman. Trust me, I used to pick on freshmen too. I was the freshman who got picked on. I'm so sorry for lying. But um, he, you know, he sees this kid and it's like, well, who is this guy? I don't care about him. I'm looking for Josuke. I'm looking for my uncle that I just found out I have. Right. But it is through this story that we see that Jotaro sees that Koichi's truly a reliable guy. This dude has dignity. He has, well, no, he doesn't have dignity, but he has courage and he has honor. He sees this guy face a serial killer. He sees this guy save not only himself, but others. Koichi saves someone that tried to murder him. Multiple people that try to murder him. He does not try to murder back. Unless, you know, it's Kira. Yeah, okay, so that is interesting. I mean, um, <clears throat> one thing that is pretty dramatically different from part three and part four is the lack of death in part four. Mm -hmm. um, we have this recurring theme of, I beat you up, now we're friends. 
in part three, uh, like 75% of stand users that the Crusaders fought ended up dead. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's an interesting thing to watch because Jotaro is coming from that perspective. He hasn't fought. Well, actually, we don't know for sure, but he hasn't been in a lot of stand battles in the last 10 years. Yeah. He seems out of practice uh, when he confronts Josuke. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get to the end of part four, he's seen all of these young people um, with their stands having managed to defeat an evil without resorting to uh, killing anybody. That's important because Jotaro's whole thing was, you know, oh, defeat my enemies, right? You know, um, he killed a couple people. I'm pretty sure we can confirm that Steely Dan is no longer breathing after a three-page aura. Yeah, that's true. So I guess the first question I have is, his first interaction with Koichi is not, he's not super impressed with the kid. Um, so we don't really see Jotaro's affection for him until the battle in the tailor shop, right? Yeah. Against sheer heart attack. Yeah. Um, and Jotaro, I think what I really like about that scene is you do get to see in depth the PTSD that Jotaro must suffer all of the time. Yeah. Um, there's a stand user, there's a kid, he's like, get out of here. The dude's blonde, he's Don't counting down it. the time. Well, even before that, even in the battle against sheer heart attack, um, yeah. you know, he's telling Koichi, like, get out of here. He can't risk another one of his friends being donutted. And I don't even know if he considers him a friend. He's just like, I'm used to this. You're a kid. I was a kid when this happened and it shouldn't have happened like that. So I want you to leave while I pummel this turtle tank. Yeah. I'm, and of course, you know, Jotaro can't can't withstand it. And Koichi goes through his action adventure of setting things on fire and leveling up uh, echoes. Yeah, I think that's also another big part of it. Jotaro sees Koichi like evolve as a person. Right. And that's represented through his stand echoes. Mm-hmm. Right. Jotaro directly sees, at least unconsciously sees, maybe um, he's like unconscious when it happens. We're left to assume right. he's unconscious. But he sees that Echoes changes and Koichi is just like, oh, if this means I have to kill you, I'll see you in hell, Kira. Yeah, I mean, he's unconscious or at least incapacitated. Although when Jotaro does get up, he says to Koichi, you were winning against that man psychologically. So he must be aware of it somehow. Yeah, Uh, I think that, yeah, like I think a big part of it is that he sees Koichi's like, you know, he's obviously like outmatched. But he's not giving up. He's finding new ways to try and defeat Kira. And that really left an impression on him. Yeah, for sure. More so than even Josuke does. Yeah. I think. It's because Josuke is, you know, sure it can heal stuff, but it's still a punchy ghost. Koichi doesn't have the, you know, hmm, benefit. That's true. And I kind of wonder maybe he, right. Does he have higher expectations of Josuke because he's a Joestar? I'm thinking he has higher expectations of Josuke because, yeah, yeah, I guess because he's a Joestar because, you know, he has this stand. He's part of this, maybe not, maybe not that he's part of this lineage, more like, you know, oh, we've gone through stuff, right? And I expect you to go through something too. Well, because, you know, the battle with Bug Eaton, he's proud of Josuke, but he's also like a little bit frustrated, like, hey, man, get on board. What, what are you doing? I mean, Josuke's first, you know idea at the word hunting was hunting some chicks with some nice bodies so he's gonna feel a little disappointed <laughs> uh that's true maybe he was seeing too much of old joseph uh, or young joseph in that and he's like uh oh, this is how he got into this mess <laughs> i think he saw plenty of joseph in him 
and that's what also kind of brought it down for him. Right. So um, with Jotaro, we do have to always touch on the the common theory, which is, does he see Kakuin in Koichi? I mean, they're both green. Um, they both have green stands. Um, yeah, well, I'm willing to see that Jotaro kind of, yeah, I'm willing to see that he like sees something of Kakuin within Koichi, you know? This young stand user who has a lot of potential to him. Right, and... You know, something that's been pointed out is that Araki himself said that without their stands, Jotaro and Kakuin probably would not have been friends in high school. Um, Kakuin, sort of a arrogant honor student. Jotaro is a, a delinquent. Yeah. Uh, Koichi, I mean, he's a stand-up guy. I don't, I don't know how smart he is. I mean, he seems like a good student. I assume that Koichi was a was a good student that just kind of struggled with a few subjects here and there. Right. Well, we know he struggled in English. Yeah, he definitely struggled in English. <laughs> but he also stays like after class to help clean up. That's true. You know, I, I assume that Koichi is like a, you know, he's a real stand-up guy. He's a real gentleman. And this goes right into why Yukako sees a lot in him. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's do it. So Yukako, um, fascinating character in herself, uh, has been cited as perhaps the very first yandere character. Ever, um, I think Araki did base her off of the uh, the yandere, um, I guess, stereotype. No, I, I think what I read was that the yandere stereotype is defined by Yukako. Is defined by Yukako? Yeah, like it, it's the earliest example of such a character. Oh, breaking ground once again. I know, right? <laughs> well, it's among one of the earliest ones. I mean, it was like eighty or it was like when he like that? early nineties, early nineties, right? Yeah. So if you actually go to the TV Tropes page on Yandere, she's cited as like one of the original <laughs> character types. One of the original Yandere girls. Yeah. All right. So Yukako, um, she is a classmate of Koichi's, Jotaro's, and Okiyasu's. And she is first displayed as having a crush on Koichi. And it seems really innocent at first. You know, she asks him to have, you know, um, like a little meal with her where she's going to confess her feelings for him. But upon not receiving an answer immediately she gets vicious i'm talking about she puts hair in his food hair in his drink she damn near um kills the guy later on um yeah and i I think what's interesting um what i love about that scene is it seems to come out of nowhere yeah um you know koichi's drawn much smaller than he's supposed to be um i've heard it said it's because it's symbolic or it's metaphorical how he sees himself um or it's just you know an artistic choice that rocky makes but you've got short koichi and yukako is tall long hair just drawn in that very classic japanese beauty in in the anime style yeah um in fact i can't remember the phrase for it but there's a there's a term for long haired dark beauties which is like you know one of the the archetypes yeah she's a um she's a walking like you know high school crush cute girl archetype yeah ostensibly out of his league very much so okiyasu feels jealous yeah okiyasu is crushed beyond belief that this is okiyasu he's just he's like josuke i can find something like that right right um and so this this scene comes out of nowhere you're like whoa koichi and then um yeah we of course this is the first time that we are well okay which character was it that that points out stand users attract stand users i think that was um in part three 
um, I think it was late. It was somewhere between it was either early or late part three. Forgot which. I thought it was the puppet guy. Oh, uh, Hazamata. Yeah, Hazamata. I thought it was Hazamata. I think it's Hazamata that says it in part four. Anyway, it might have been said in part three. I can't remember. I think it was said in part three, but I could be mistaken. I don't remember. But you guys should write us in and, and you can school us. on. Please this. educate me. Um, But Hazamata, I think, is the one who brings it up. It says, you know, stand out sky, something stand out sky. Um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, is this attraction partly just because stand users attract stand users? Or what do you think it is that uh, Yukako sees in Koichi that is so attractive? Well, she straight up says, like, it's his potential, right? Like, Koichi has a lot of potential to him and she is in love with that when she um first sees him she even she even tells him like she's into guys with like this like potential uh guys who seem like they can do a lot um or at least you know do mm-hmm. a lot in the future but i mm-hmm. also think that you know stan users attract stan users it's kind of like this energy maybe he gives off you know where she just kind of like un- right and po- potential is basically his character theme right yeah he just keeps getting better yeah, and so in in many of the same ways that Jotaro finds Koichi admirable is what attracts her. I guess on a, on a multiple levels, probably academically, career wise, um, maybe even you know, I'd say socially. But she does not care if he's a delinquent or not. She will try to fix him. That's very true. But I bet in that case, she does care if he's a delinquent because she will force that change. <laughs> um, maybe she even is already thinking about. How is he going to be as a father? I'm thinking that she already like tried like planning their whole life through. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a hundred notebooks with Yukako Hirose written all over the place, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a hundred little diaries that she has. And I'm sure a good 98% of them have Koichi in them somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, I have to say. Uh, I mean, so then we have her whole arc where she basically I kidnaps him. Loved that arc. I don't know why. I just really loved that whole like love deluxe arc. It is frightening it, on multiple levels. <laughs> it's great. I I don't know why. I just really like the idea that Koichi like because it's like the first time we really get like a romance story in JoJo. And um, yeah, it is good. And I mean, many people have pointed out and it's a fair point that, hey, uh, Koichi, she kidnapped you and tried to electrocute you. Maybe you shouldn't be with her. That's not going to stop a man with no dignity. That's a fair point. It's not kind of st- a fair point. This man, he's beat her before, not like physically. I guess, I guess, kind of physically, but you know, he he knows what he's he knows what he's in for. Plus, she kind of calmed down after that. Yeah, and I suppose, I mean, uh, up until you know, in the moments leading up to Yukako finding Cinderella, she is extremely remorseful, heartbroken, heart sick. Yeah, feels like she's ruined her chance. She feels bad for what she did to Koichi. Because I think underneath there, there is some kind of like genuine, like, you know, feelings for him. I, I just kind of like the idea that like, you know, out of all these like giant buff dudes that parade around in this series, it's Koichi that has this girl like crushing on him. <laughs> now, why would you why would you relate to that? Oh, hmm. I can only wonder. Hmm. Um, five foot two, uh, generally smart, at least considered smart. Um, I just, I don't know why I, I feel like I resonated with Koichi so much when I first saw him and to see that like little story arc happen, I just felt really excited the whole time. Like I was really entertained by that. Yeah. And do you think that is part of like some kind of message Araki is trying to put forward? I do think it is kind of a message where it's like, Hey, 
you don't have to be like all these other guys to be a hero. You don't have to be like all these other guys to, you know, get the girl and, you know, get even stronger. Mm-hmm. Right. Like all the people I know that love Koichi just as much as me, they're they're soft boys. Now, I don't typically <laughs> consider myself a soft boy, but I am a soft boy. Koichi is like soft boy represented. I feel represented in this series. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, short, soft boys and um, short, soft boys that get exploited might i add yeah so let's get well and you know i think yeah in any media what makes it resonant for people is feeling seen and feel feeling represented and so um you're right koichi does kind of fill a specific void a specific niche uh i mean a lot of manga and anime fans probably feel like they are a lot like koichi in a lot of ways definitely i felt like i was koichi i thought to myself like man if only my hair could be a flat top (laughs) <laughs> also he is he is our flat top for this part yeah that's true um even the hair is kind of interesting on its own because he's the only one with a shifting hairstyle throughout part four yeah he's he's krillin from dragon ball and um yeah that's true or gohan i get a lot of gohan vibe out of him i mean his nose or at least what it is in the beginning of part four gives me like krillin vibes just because mm. it's kind of flat and like you know rounded upwards um didn't you you mentioned once that dragon ball was a big influence for koichi right i remember reading somewhere that um dragon ball was an influence for koichi and his stand echoes because there are like i I get frieza vibes from echoes act three right it has like that kind of scaly armor to it um it has like you know it evolves it gets stronger with new abilities Mm -hmm. every time koichi screams or at least if he screams loud enough it gets stronger yeah that's true um and what I think is interesting is there's often a comparison between Echoes and Cell. Yeah. And uh, those stories were running at about the same time. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, Araki can take inspiration from other mangaka as long as he does it, you know, his own way and it's great. I mean, like, there's a part in part eight. Oh. Where um, Yusaho straight up runs into One Piece fans. <laughs> Granted, these One Piece fans are terrible. So I'm just going to oh, assume One Piece fans are terrible in real life. Uh, I have not consumed One Piece, so I will not pass judgment either way. Um, note for the listeners, I am not caught up. I am reading part six right now. I have caught up all the way to the latest chapter as of this recording. Uh, so there you go. Um, uh, but no, but I think what I, I don't even think it's necessarily that he's stealing from one or the other. I just think it's probably cultural zeitgeist at the time. You know, yeah. all the shonen guys are kind of doing these you know, multi-power level things. I mean, these are the invention of anime tropes and uh, manga tropes that continue to be explored and used to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a, a deep uh, anime or manga historian, so I don't really know if, if that's a well-documented thing, but I, I found it interesting that those two characters were um, coming up at about the same time. I I also really do find it interesting that, you know, Koichi has, he shares a whole lot with these, like, other shonen heroes. I think more than some of the main JoJo's even really do, right? He's got, you know, the power levels. He gets stronger, and we see it, like, physically in him. Yeah, and you know, I think with what is kind of refreshing for the main JoJo's usually is that their stands are pretty much at maximum power the minute we see them. Yeah. I mean, aside from Star Platinum figuring out his time stop ability, it was as strong as it was ever going to be the minute he had it. Yeah. 
Um, and so what, what I enjoy about that part of it is that it's not a battle of getting stronger. It's a battle of application. Yeah. I think Koichi's stand represents that the most in part four when it comes to like battles of application. Because um, his first ability doesn't even, it's not even like a direct attack. That is true. I mean, it does get stronger, but it doesn't get like significantly. I mean, Act 3, 3 Freeze is a cool ability, but mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to take out someone by yourself necessarily with it. I mean, hey, in the video games and stuff, Act 3 does punch. So we don't know how strong those punches are. Well, I mean, when Act 3 goes to punch killer queen it it doesn't seem to do a lot it's well act three's never been that much of a punchy ghost remember when he tried yeah. to hit um uh tamame with it and it just did absolutely nothing to him right <laughs> it's like oh, okay well this is not my strong yeah. suit we're gonna do also this dude has this dude's stand has an act zero all right kakyoin uh did you lay this egg no it's koichi did you lay this egg <laughs> <laughs> all right Ko that's true koichi is best mom it does continue with the uh the development theme and i mean that's a great moment too uh when josuke is battling um uh, keichi mm -hmm. and, and koichi's like i'll just summon the egg and attack him from behind <laughs> what is it they try throwing the egg at him don't they uh he he's about to try and then keicho turns around and goes i'm not gonna kill you yet but i'm gonna finish this battle with josuke and, and then <laughs> koichi gets scared and doesn't try it I just, I don't know, I I, I kind of got a little worried at that point because I thought to myself, like, oh, is he going to have, like, a like a weak stand or is it going to be, like, a really specific stand, right? I just kind of wanted, I, I was just rooting from, I was just rooting for Koichi from the very start. I wanted him to have, like, a cool stand and stuff, I guess, to try mm -hmm. and reinforce my interest in him. Like, like yeah, that's why I love Koichi in, like, episode three. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the last one. The, the one I think that me makes the least amount of sense to me. Maybe you have some better insight, but why does Rohan Kishibe find Koichi so fascinating? All right, so Rohan Kishibe, Araki's self-insert, and a mangaka artist that lives in Morio. I think that Rohan finds Koichi very interesting because he's, I mean, I'd like to say Koichi's a pretty interesting guy, you know? Um, his stand is like, his stand has like its own arc to it. His character has... Like, dude starts off not knowing anything about stands, being involved in any of this, but quite soon he makes friends, he has, a, he gets a girlfriend, he, you know, starts to discover the confidence that he can find in himself, and it's great material, especially for, like, an early 90s, like, well, I guess in that case, late 90s, like, shonen manga, like, creator, I think it'd be a good reference material. So you think it's because he uses Heaven's Door... And just starts reading through the pages of Koichi, and he just sees this natural hero's arc, hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And he's like, awesome. Um, this is perfect fodder for what I'm writing. Yeah, I think he sees Koichi's journey, and he's, he gets interested. He's like, this is a good arc. Like, I'm going to use this in Pink Dark Boy. <laughs> so one thing I usually, or I kind of thought about is like, I mean, Rohan himself is an interesting individual in that he's really prickly. Not very open. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he, he likes Koichi because he's a fan yeah. initially, right? Yeah. But, you know, I think maybe he sees personality traits in Koichi that Rohan himself does not possess. That he would like to possess. And maybe, 
Yeah, like, oh, I, I wish I could be more like that. Or, wow, you're such a cool guy because you're so honest and open. Uh, you know, you're quick to make friends. And I just can't do that because I'm a snooty mangaka who, you know, spends all my time licking spiders. <laughs> I was just going to get into that. I was going to say how he likes to really, like, get into things. And I think what also helps that is that Koichi isn't the typical shonen hero. He's not supposed to be, like, the, the hero in part four either, right? That falls to Josuke. And I think that part of the reason why Rohan is so adamant against Josuke is because he is the typical hero, right? This has got to be something that Rohan's seen before, right? He's kind of stereotypical to Rohan. And Koichi is just mm. this, like, fresh, new, you know, like, source of, like, wow. You know, like, my characters can be like this. Like, someone could be like this. This is interesting. Right, which becomes recursive because Araki himself is inserting himself through Rohan, and Araki's created Koichi to make a new hero, so mm -hmm. Rohan is creating a new hero. Um, I mean, essentially, the, the main character, if I'm correct in this, is Heaven's Door, right? The main character? Like, in his in the manga that, that uh, Rohan is drawing, isn't the main character Heaven's Door? Yeah, yeah. He draws Pink Dark Boy to look exactly like his stand Heaven's Door. I thought I actually kind of thought it was reverse. I thought the stand ended up just looking like his character. Well, that depends on where when he got the stand, because I don't think it said that he got pierced the arrow. Oh, interesting. Yes, it did. It did? I think so. Yeah. Okay, so Rohan's... Because I think he... Rohan's the only character that got to choose how his stand looks like. Great. Well, I mean, because remember, the first time he's using Heaven's Door, he has to show the picture, right? Yeah. Or, or the page. And then after that, it suddenly has a physical manifestation. After he, uh, after Josuke punches him enough to re make him realize, oh, wait, there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. And I mean, we see in part six, um, you know, particularly with like Jolene and, and Hermes, that it takes a little bit of mental concentration to make the, the, ma the physical manifestation, right? Yeah. Because in both those cases, the they were using their stand abilities before they could actually see the whole stand. That is true. That is true. So to me, it seems to fit that pattern a little bit. Like Rohan had figured out the power, but not really the manifestation. And maybe because his mind is so, I guess, quote unquote, powerful that it shaped around his character. <laughs> I'm thinking that his fighting spirit was just kind of naturally shaped like you know pink dark boy just because you know that's his hero right he made it that's true and pink dark boy is also a, a small character yeah he also also a small character so he probably saw koichi and he was like hey this fits yeah yeah <laughs> he's also a, a small statured character wearing a funny top hat sort of atypical hero so yeah but after that so beyond inspiration so he gets punched in the face by josuke yeah but even after that, anytime we get Rohan, Rohan Kishibe, dynamic investigator, uh, his first call is always to, to Koichi. Yeah. Well, he's seen, if, if it means anything, he knows Koichi the most. He has literally read through his uh, life. That's, I guess that's true. He sees. And I suppose he knows yeah. that he's going to be there for you if you call on him. Yeah. He knows how, like, not, not dignified. He knows how honorable this man is. He knows that this man gets stuff done. He knows that this man beat up this woman and then later on she still loves him. Maybe not. This is all good points. Right? Like Koichi gets stuff done. He saw that Koichi was like willing to die to take down a serial killer. But did he see... Now I can't remember the sequence. Did he meet Rohan before that though? 
I thought he did. I'm still thinking that Rohan maybe sneaks in a Heaven's Door here and there. Yeah, he would. Right? He's a, he's that kind of guy. He'd sneak in a Heaven's Door here or there. Especially since you can never remember that he does it. He totally does he, that. He totally does that to, to a lot of people. Rohan Kishibe, no dignity, man. Come on. Here we thought Koichi had no dignity. Well, <laughs> he gets better in the Rohan one-shots. Where he's about to use Heaven's Door on a girl. Uh, does he? I read, I read Rohan Goes to Gucci today. <laughs> what'd you think um i enjoyed it i enjoyed the whole equivalent exchange uh gucci bag the gucci bag the best stand might i add um but i i thought <laughs> the the panels where it was clearly drawn to be the advertisement and then they tacked on speech bubbles <laughs> were extra awkward <laughs> i mean you gotta make money <laughs> you know the translator's holding the bag and she's in this like very dynamic pose and she's like what about this bag, Rohan? He's like, no, stop talking about that bag. I'm talking about this one. <laughs> like, come on. Um, uh, I, I think it was, I forgot which Rohan one shot it was. Um, but he does think about using Heaven's Door on one girl. But then he like has like this little epiphany right before he does it where he's like, wait, I should do this with her consent. Shouldn't I? Wow. Growth. Good job, Character Rohan. Growth. I'm proud it of you. It just took until after the part. I'm proud of you, Rohan. Yeah. Really proud of you. What do you know? He gains a conscience. And is that the influence of Koichi? I think we would have to say yes. I think so. I'd say so. Like, hell, Koichi's so impressive, Hazamata got shorter just to be with him. <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah. Tamame got shorter <laughs> just to be on his level. Well, in the manga. In the anime, they were always short. I mean, but we can't ignore that buff Hazamata... The image of Buff Hazamata exists out there, and Koichi uh, irreversibly changed that. <laughs> you see, Koichi influences people's not only their like internal struggles, their their physical, like <laughs> their physical form. Yeah. So I mean, we can we can obviously Koichi is a cool character. He shows a lot of character growth. That probably needs to be its own discussion episode in itself. Mm -hmm. He's obviously critical in taking down Kira at the last moment. Um, without three freeze, Jotaro wouldn't have gotten in range. Mm -hmm. Okay, so last controversial thing. All right. Jotaro loves Koichi more than Jolene? Question mark? Mm. I'm so willing to leave that, right? So, I mean, I think the, the obvious answer is to why is that um, Araki hadn't conceived of Jolene while he was writing part four, yeah. right? Yeah. Like he didn't, none of that was, none of that existed well, even though we know through the timeline, she would have been like seven or eight, right? She would have been small. Right. But um, obviously, there's a difference between looking back now and going, oh, yeah, Julian existed. And Iraqi going like, oh, yeah, he probably has a daughter that he's kind of abandoned to go help. And that's like coloring the part. I don't think that was in his mind at all while this was going on. No, no, I don't think that was anywhere near Rocky's mind when he was writing part four. Like that's a whole two parts away. Um, but I I do think that there is a certain level of like, you know, camaraderie or like bond that Ro that Araki may have taken from, uh, you know, Jodoro and Koichi's interactions. And he thought to himself like, well, hey, what if Jodoro had a daughter? How would that dynamic go? Oh, when he was ending up writing part six. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so. Because, you know, he sees... Because in, in the opening sequences of part six, and, and I mean, at, at the time I'm recording this, I have just gotten to um, 
Jolene is wandering around in the swamp fighting some kind of water monster. I haven't really figured out what's going on there yet. Oh, you'll get um, <laughs> um, it. But even early, early in that part, you know, it describes the the tumultuous relationship that Jolene and Jotaro have had. It, you know, you were always bringing me bad news. You were always gone. Um, you know, you only ever came home to tell me you were getting divorced, that you were going to move away, that... You know, I had a bad fever and you didn't come home. Mm-hmm. You know, like our relationship sucks. Uh, and it, and J- Jolene's obviously in a lot of pain. Yeah. She's. So I think Iraqi was was cognizant enough to realize like, OK, well, if I look at my own timeline and Jotaro is running around Morio while he has a daughter and writing his thesis on starfish. Mm-hmm. What has he left behind if I'm going to introduce this daughter? Yeah, because you can't just have, like, those two things run at the same time and have there be, like, no conflict. Because he does stay in Morio for a little while. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, it takes the whole summer, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's been in Morio a while, and then he goes back on the boat with Joseph, and <laughs> going from Japan to New York by boat takes a long time. <laughs> it takes a long time, and um, are we to assume that Jotaro lived with his wife in Florida? Um, I mean... There is a lot of marine biology going on in Florida. I mean, I can see Jodra moving there, moving there just for that alone. Yeah, I mean, that tracks like you're going to do your job where there's going to be opportunities to do your job. Yeah, because, you know, Um, she goes to a Florida state prison and, you know, they they rest her at her house, which is we can see in Florida. So imagine that. Yeah. Like he's going from Japan to New York and he's got to go all the way back to Florida. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's gone a lot and, um, you know, do, diving into Jotaro's family life is going to take an episode on its own. But just to touch on it in terms of how it relates to Koichi, mm. I think, um, you know, he does see a lot of Kakuin in them. I think Jotaro is very protective of the Morio teens. Yeah. He definitely doesn't want them to experience what he and the Crusaders went through. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, uh, Joseph takes that role during Stardust Crusaders himself. He's trying to protect them from enduring what he went through. Yeah. Um, but he can't do it. He fails. The The enemy is too strong and he has to rely too much on the teaming's power. I mean, Hermit Purple can't do everything by himself. Still waiting on Hermit he Purple needs Requiem. Star... <laughs> uh, I mean, he needs Star Platinum. That's just what it is, yeah. right? Yeah. But Jotaro, I think, is is like, I have Star Platinum. I can handle this. I have the ability to protect these kids. So I'm going to try yeah. my best to. And then ultimately understanding at the end, I I don't need to because these, like Joseph says, you know, they have the shining spirit of the Crusaders. And this is a town protected by love. Mm-hmm. You see, Koichi also brings um, all that love in, right? He, lo- he loves his friends. Uh, I keep bringing this up, but, you know, only character in part four with a girlfriend gonna keep saying that yeah and but i mean he also he binds all the other characters together is the only one rohan likes and so he brings rohan and okuyasu and josuke and yukako all together mm-hmm. yeah um and even hazamata like likes him <laughs> and hazamata is a creep oh definitely koichi brings all walks of life together koichi is the key to like world peace and we just don't realize it yet he even like you know befriends Raimi. He's there through discover when they find the the ghost alley. Yeah, 
Koichi even has friends beyond the beyond the afterlife. Yeah. He I feel like Koichi really does play a, a central role as like this whole Yeah, he's kind of the glue to the Morio crew. You know, mm-hmm. he's he brings everyone together. He's the first one that we see Josuke interact with when they become friends in like the first episode. Um he, he makes friends with Jotaro, he makes friends with I guess Okiyasu down the line. Well, they just start hanging out together. Yeah. Right? He is, you know, for the lack of dignity, it seems pretty digniful. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess the conclusion is that we here at No Digni actually really love Koichi. I love Koichi with all my heart. Um, I like him a lot too. Okay, so um, next part of the show, every week, I mean, like, let's face it, like German science, JoJo memes are the best in the world. Um, I think it's a major part of JoJo fandom culture. Uh, Alex and I send JoJo memes back and forth. Constantly. Constantly. So uh, this segment is Meme of the Week, where we both share our favorite meme for the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go first. All right. I get a lot of my memes from um, Reddit. This you. one comes from uh, the subreddit Shitpost Crusaders. And it is a series of drawings done by user Steel Sofa, S-T-E-E-L-S-O-F-A. Um, this person has been doing several art uh, pieces called Stand Users Dressed Like Their Stands. Mm-hmm. And the, the first one they did of a series is uh, part five. So Giorno standing there, uh, hands on his hips, wearing gold experiences, uh, get up. Good experiences. Uh, standing next to... Uh, Bucciarati in uh, sticky fingers <laughs> on a stripper pole, uh, saying to himself, anything for the kids. <laughs> and then it is finished off with uh, Narancha hunched over wearing this doofy airplane costume. <laughs> I've seen that. I, I love it. And he's got like a ditto smile. And it's just like, <laughs> Narancha, what are you doing? We're not going to question. Um, I love this. I love this picture so much. I think about it all the time and laugh. Um, I'm going to link it in the show notes in case you, dear listener, have not seen it yet. Please go check it out. I just love the idea that Bucci just knows how to work that pole. No no prior experience. I mean, we we saw it during uh, that battle, right? I mean. Versus Dummy Thick uh, Seco. With, uh, yes. Versus Dummy Thick Seco. All right. So my favorite JoJo meme of the week, um, made by Jute Jogurt. Uh, that's spelled G-O-O-T-J-O-G-U-R-T. And it has the part five squad uh, pointing at uh, Bakio, hands on his hips, pride, chest bursting out, says big titty goth GF. And then we have <laughs> and then we have um, La Squadra uh, with Risotto, hands behind his head, also pumping his chest out. And they have their own big titty goth GF. Right. So Risotto and... Um, Risotto and Abakio mirror each other in the fact that they're both big titty goth GFs. And each squad is lucky to have them. Ah, uh, Abakio, those eyes are just so hypnotically colored. I first time I saw Risotto, I thought to myself, like, oh, are we getting like even more supernatural? Because like, what's up with that guy? I thought he and Abakio were gonna be related at first, but no, they're just each squad has their own like tall buff boy that just loves wearing like <laughs> It loves having white hair and wearing there black. There must be something, yeah, there must be something in the water in Italy. 
all there is to oh i'm sure there i'm sure there is have you seen what they consider to be blending in (laughs) okay um so next on the show would normally be uh your questions but we don't have any because this is the first episode so if you want to send us questions comments you want to call us out on something stupid we said or um, offer your two cents. We got a bunch of ways to do that. Alex, what we got? All right. Well, we have our Twitter at No Dignity Pod. Uh, we have our Instagram at No Dignity Podcast underscores between um, No Dignity and Podcast. Um, we also have our own little personal uh, pages. So you can follow me on Twitter at Asquid TV or on Instagram at Asquid TV. Uh, you can also do two other things to send us inf- stuff. Uh, we have a Gmail, which is do- no, do- <laughs> no dignity podcast at gmail.com. And uh, this podcast is hosted on anchor.fm. So if you go to the website, anchor.fm slash no dignity, all one word, uh, you can actually send us a voice message. Um, so if you want to give us your two cents in your sonorous voice, Go ahead and do that, and we will definitely play it on the show. It'll be Echoes Act 1. Echoes Act 1. Um, if you want more from me, I have another podcast called Silhouette Zero. It's an actual play RPG podcast where me and my brother play Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games RPG. It is a highly produced show with special effects, um, sound effects, and music. You can find all of that at SilZeroMedia.com. That's spelled S-I-L-Z-E-R-O. You can follow me on my Twitter for that, which is SilZeroChris. Again, S-I-L-Z-E-R-O. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it. That was a good first episode. I'd like to say. Uh, but, you know, before we go, I have to ask you, did you hear that Koichi really plays bowling with the bumpers still up? Really? No dignity. To be continued. <laughs>